Hey friends, welcome to our digital space. On this girl life, we're trying to figure life out. And there's no better way to do that than with your best friend by your side. So join us each week as we bring on experts to help us navigate this girl life. All right, here are your hosts, Whitney and Kristen. Today's sponsor is Hero Cosmetics. They sent us over the Mighty Patch, which is a hydrocolloid acne patch. Wait, I actually had a monster pimple pop up last night. So I stuck on my Mighty Patch original overnight. And this morning when I woke up, it was totally flat. I know these definitely work. If you want to try a Mighty Patch for yourself, use the code thisgirllife 15 for 15% off herocosmetics.com. We're back. It's episode 59. Hello. If you're listening on iTunes or maybe YouTube, maybe everyone's like checking out our YouTube now, Kristen. I mean, our YouTube videos are pretty sick. And this one you get to actually see Candace Bushnell. So it's totally worth watching on YouTube. Yeah. And they totally can see. I made Kristen put a background on because if you see, she has this like creepy, wait, move, move somehow and show everybody what creepiness appears. I don't know how. I have a background on with this one right Candace yeah so everybody look for Kristen's mask in the background be right about here (laughs) (laughs) but we honestly on YouTube we are posting a lot of YouTube videos you guys check them out um it's really fun to see our guests so today you're gonna see Candace Bushnell the creator of Sex in the City um Carrie Diaries Lipstick Jungle I mean the list goes on and on she has so many books and if you haven't read them the books are kind of where she started I mean she started with a column but like her story is just phenomenal she has a thousand books out there they're all good brand new and that just came out yes so yeah so it was really fun just to hear I mean she's had so much experience but like the little nuggets she gave us from sex in the city I was dying because I'm literally watching sex in the city right now like I'm re-watching it do you remember when you lived with me this summer between junior and senior year of college and we literally binge watched the entire series because I'd never seen it. Yes. We binge watched the entire series. Like guys, I'm talking, I would come home from summer school at noon and we would lay in bed all the rest of the day, <laughs> literally. And then we would go out with the boys we were seeing at night and then we would do it all over the next morning, literally for three months. And I know. it was in prep to go see the movie. Yep, and we went and, okay, just so you know, I totally dyed my hair the same way Carrie did right after that. I was like, <laughs> we like went fancy too. We like got dressed up and went to the Grove and like got drinks. Yep, it was fun. Oh my so God, fun. Sex in the City is epic. It's so epic. So, yeah, so when we knew that, you know, not knew, but when we were like, let's get Candace on, we're like, okay. So <laughs> awesome. Guys, we even go into like the... Aiden, Mr. Big, which like, I feel like you are one or the other. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like, yes. I am Mr. Big through and through. Like, I don't even look at Aiden. Like when Aiden yes. dips in and out, I'm like, stop wasting our time. Bring back Mr. Big. See, when Aiden came back in the second time, I had more of like a sympathy, like more sympathy for him and was like, okay, kind of. The thing is that's really funny to me, guys, about this series is how Aiden and Carrie break up. And then before you know it, Aiden has a kid, Tate. And it's like, wait, so did you literally like bang the like the yeah. next girl you saw and had a kid? That's basically right. what would have had to happen. 
So and Aiden did carry dirty. Yes, she cheated, but he should have never taken her back if he couldn't get over it. True, but I feel like he did. He just kind of wanted to lock lock her down. But you can't lock down a wild horse like a free bird. No, you can't. You know? No, you can't. Not, I mean, not that, that's not saying that, like, I'm a free bird, okay, husband? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying that. Um, but anyways, guys, we are excited to let you hear her story and um, introduce you to her new book. And we will provide all the resources, obviously, on our website. You can um, check out all of her books there. So, <laughs> I was like, is this the end? <laughs> is, is this the end? Isn't that a song? Like, I don't know. Sometimes I... we just can't vibe each other because we have to Skype it. And sometimes you just can't vibe it the way it is in person. <laughs> because most of the time I can tell when you're like wrapping it up. <laughs> I don't know. Not this time, guys. Blame it on the mimosas I had this morning. I don't know. I'm just kidding. I'm pregnant. Just kidding, guys. That was a joke. (laughs) Okay. Not for a few weeks. Enjoy Candace Bushnell. She's fabulous. And let us know what you guys think. Leave us a review. Hit up our website and tell us who else you want to see and what else you want to hear. And if you're Team Aiden or Team Big. Guys. Candace Bushnell does not need any introduction. So we are so excited to have you here and talk about all things. I want to jump right into the fact that Sex and the City wasn't actually your first column that you ever wrote. So share with us kind of how you got into the world of writing in New York City and why you think that Sex and the City kind of turned into your most popular column. Um, well, I... I knew I wanted to be a writer when I was very young, when I was eight. So it was something that I, you know, I I really pursued. And I moved to New York when I was 19 and, you know, to be a writer. And I started working right away and selling pieces. And I was writing fiction. Um, I couldn't, you know, it was, I mean, I realized that I probably won't be able to make a living writing fiction, although I thought, you know, I'm just going to write a novel, uh, you know, 21 or 22, and then that will be it. Um, uh, so yeah, I did a lot of freelancing and I wrote for a lot of women's magazines and, and I always, I always wanted to have a column because it would pay regularly. And then I wouldn't have to find, you know, another topic every month to write about. So, um, and I did do a column called The Human Cartoon that was in Hamptons Magazine. And, you know, everybody, I mean, when I say everybody, I mean, everybody in my little world was reading it, you know, but my little world was, took place in, you know, Manhattan and in the Hamptons and, you know, mixed in this world where, I mean, really incredibly successful people. Yeah. So, um, and then I started writing for the New York Observer and Really, because I was right. I mean, the New York Observer really had a male audience, 
So I started to, you know, finally, it was getting a lot of attention. And um, I sold it to be a book. And then I sold it to, then there was a lot of interest um, in it being a TV series. And, and I ended up, I sold it to Darren Starr, and then he sold it to HBO. But HBO had been pursuing me for like before. Um, but they, it was a very kind of, you know, guy-oriented um, place. And Darren was somebody who I felt like we had a similar sense of humor. We had a similar background. Um, I thought it was really funny. I, I had a good time with him. So, and then ABC wanted it and HBO wanted it. I mean, more when Darren's attached because you've got a showrunner. And, and so, you know, he's, we stole it to HBO. I'm curious, when you were picking like column subjects or even book topics, so you do you have a really great imagination or did a lot of this come from personal experience you were experiencing? Well, it's, you know, it's really both. Um, I have a really strong imagination. I mean, that's what I do is basically I think all day. Um, you know, you have to, like writing is, it's a little bit like a performance for me, really. You know, it's like you're in the moment, you're in a flow. It's like writing a song, you lay down tracks, this and that. Um, you know, it's got to sometimes, you know, sometimes I'm just really sort of overtaken by a character, like in Trading Up or Four Blondes, like those characters, I could just like really get into the heads of these characters. And it's like, I've always been able to do that. It's like being a medium. Um, and you know, but then when I was writing Sex in the City, um, you know, it wasn't supposed to be fiction because it was in a newspaper. So, I mean, it was a way of, it's really about like presenting the material in a certain way. It's the same material, but it's like, how am I going to present it to you so that you're going to pay me and people are going to get it? That's really what it comes down to. Um, and... Now, when I look at Sex in the City, I, I mean, when I was writing it, Joan Gideon was always like, you're, I think you're really, you're writing a novel. And I was like, yes, Joan, you're the only person who understands. Thank you. <laughs> um, so. And then, um, I mean, really, while I was still writing Sex in the City, you know, I had a, a TV show before Sex in the City that I was the star of. Ooh, tell us about this. Cause I, I've done a lot of research what? on you and I have not, <laughs> I. <laughs> it was called Sex, Lies and Video Clips. And was it on VH1? It might've been on VH1. It was like one of VH1's first shows. Really? Wow. That is so cool. And it was two seasons. It was like me and this guy. We talked about relationships. And then we went and did stuff. Like <laughs> we went to a dungeon. You know, we went to Colorado and interviewed these weird people who 
lived polyamorously, you know, two guys and three women. And it, it, it actually was really fun. It's, you know, it's like when you're in front of the camera, like when you begin your day every day with two hours of hair and makeup, it's not good. <laughs> Psychologically, it's, it's, you know, it, it really does mess with people's brains. Oh, I'm sure. I'm, I couldn't do it. I 100% would not be able to handle looking at myself that much and just being doted on. I, you, know, you, get, you get super critical, but you get super obsessed. Right. You think that you never would be, and then you hate yourself. Like, I can't, I, I can't believe I'm this shallow. It's like my eyelashes aren't on, right? <laughs> <laughs> I feel you in that. I... I am so curious. So when you started writing for, I know I'm going back to the column and Sex in the City, but when you started writing, how long were you writing the column prior to the interest in creating and it turning into a book prior to the interest of the book then turning into a movie? What did that timeline look like? Was that a lot of years? A few? Well, um, they bought the book. I, really in 1996. And then we made the pilot in 1997. And then it, then the show went on the air in 1998. And they made it one season. And then we did not know. I mean, they don't tell you. So, I mean, we were like, okay, maybe it's over. We didn't know. And then they made another season in 1999. And in 2000, but in that time, I was wrote another book called Four Blondes that came out in 2000. That was a big bestseller, and and I was getting like big contracts. But for those in that time of like like 1998 to 2000, I did do some work on the show it's like I'm not keen on like the writer's room or anything like that is I don't I'm not it's just not my personality (laughs) so but you did have some like with the show you still interacted and and helped out because something I was curious with is that that adaptation of characters you know from like a book to a movie I mean you have a lot of books that have been transitioned into TV shows. So that character adaptation, right. did you have a big role in making sure that that those characters kind of were authentic to the to themselves from the book? Uh, yes. I mean, part of it was also that Darren Starr was a really good friend of mine. So, I mean, he, he knew like this life that I was living. He knew the real Mr. Big. We were we used to hang out with the real Stanford. And you know, it's like so he knew and and it was actually he had first come to New York and done Central Park West. And it did not work because Darren's very LA. And he did not get any I mean that was that show did not work because not uh, the characters felt like they had mm-hmm. been written by somebody who lived in LA and was in a writer's room. Um, so 
the book really gave him the authenticity and the, you know, I mean, the, you know, the column was huge. The book was huge. It's like, people are always like, Oh, you must have become a big deal. When sex in the city, it was like, I was already a big deal. You know, when sex in the city came out, like I already had a TV show. I already had like the book deals and this and that and all kinds of stuff. Uh, I think I even wrote a movie script. Um, but, um, now I can't remember what I was going to say. <laughs> That's okay. We're throwing a lot of questions out at you. Cause we <laughs> were just, we, when we were like going through our process, we're like, oh my gosh, we have to narrow our questions down. So we'll move on to something else. Cause something I'm curious about is you obviously started kind of that 94, 95, 96. And in the 90s, I feel like you kind of revolution, you were kind of one of the big revolutionary people talking about, hey, it's cool to like be single, like a single woman in your 30s, making your way in the world and like having an active sex life. I mean, the reality is that I'd always been, you know, writing about women and the time that I lived in. When in, in the 80s, I was writing about women in the 80s um, for women's magazines, which was the only place that had any interest in women in the 80s. I mean, publishing in the 80s was very male-dominated. Uh, there was no interest in stories about young women. You were really relegated to, you know, one section of the newspaper or your women's magazines. Um, and that was pretty much where you were going to stay. Um, and, and, but I was writing about women in the eighties. So for me, like when I looked at my career, I mean, it's really a story of like feminism and, you know, all kinds of changes that, um, happened to women over each decade like uh the stories that i wrote in in the 80s were you know about young women i was in my 20s young women in their 20s being in the workforce for the first time it was one of the first times in a while where there was a huge influx of women the sex in the city woman was you know of the 90s she was that the woman who came to new york in the 80s but now she probably had gotten some success, but had not found the man. So that was the Sex in the City woman. And the Lipstick Jungle woman is the woman of, you know, the 2000s, to me, of, you know, where I really thought, like, oh, there's a big change coming of, like, successful women and how we view them. And I think that book probably came out about 10 years too early. Because, you know, now this idea of the glamorous, successful woman who might be married, might not, but has her own company and this and that and is at the top of her career, like that's everywhere now. Whereas mm -hmm. in the 2000s, which were a very unfeminist time, um, uh, you know, that wasn't the case. So when you ask why was one thing popular, more popular than the other? Lipstick Jungle should have been as successful as Sex in the City. Preach. Um, 
for a variety of reasons, it wasn't. One was that Darren Starr was very jealous and were really put out a show that was literally a carbon copy. And about in you know the New York Times. If you look up that story, you can. Um, you know, so that was, I mean, unfortunately, that kind of behavior is pretty par for the course in Hollywood and in working amongst men. Um, you know, if you're successful or not, a lot of it depends on, hey, who's going to fuck you over and how powerful are they? Um, and, you know, these are all things that you have to navigate. I mean, and there's some things with TV that there's a real hierarchy to TV. I'm not a hierarchy person. I mean, I cannot suck up to men. I cannot, you know, I mean, all of the actresses on my show, I've seen them. And, you know, they know how to deal with those corporate guys. I don't want to deal with them. Yeah. Okay. I I'm not interested. I don't care what they think. Uh, you know, I don't think they're smarter. Uh, you know, I don't think they're fair. They're all in a little club. You, you know, you can't speak the truth. They all get insulted if you call them out and you get fired. Uh, whatever. But, you know, I mean, that's part of it too. It's like, how much can you play the game? Right. And, you know, and it's also, these things are a timing thing. Like in the 2000s, that was a very unfeminist time. There was a lot of money around and it was all about this massive consumerism and bridezillas and everybody getting married. I mean, think of all, it was an explosion of this idea of getting married. That, in a way, is one of the reasons why Sex and the City was, uh, did end up being successful, because it really pivoted to that fantasy of, I'm going to come to New York, and I'm going to find my Mr. Big. And, and, it, and it incorporated all of that mass consumerism. I mean, it was all hitting at the same time. So, I mean, that's really one of the reasons why something become successful and they say it's lightning in a bottle uh, because it somehow captures something. But, you know, larger than that, I think it's, it had, it had real intent behind it that came from me, you know, and my intent to present women in a different way. You know, I can't do a hundred percent of what I want to do. I get 20%, but I still get I still make a couple of inches forward. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, you can't tear down systems and say, I'm here. It's like you always have to be working within the system and pushing where you can. And you do such a good job of that. I think you can tell, I mean, you can absolutely tell that it was written by a woman with a woman's thought process through it. And I think that's why so many women of all ages of all decades kind of relate to it. And you, you can just tell there's a difference when you're reading, watching a show written by a woman with that intent, like you just said behind it versus a man. It's so clear because you're just speaking right to us. Like you get it. It's just a totally different thing. And it really was lightning in a bottle. I mean, that's what we try to do. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I, I 
you are the queen, obviously, of kind of, I feel like, dating. I feel like a lot of people probably talk to you about just men and dating. I'm curious how, for you, you've watched this process of, like, dating from the 80s to the 90s to now. Like, like what do you think about where we're at right now when it comes to just dating? <laughs> you know, it's a really interesting question. I mean, do you guys watch Married at First Sight? I have. I have some, not yes, a lot. Um, I, you know, I don't know. It's like I have always been interested in relationships, although, I mean, honestly, there's a part of me now, like, I'm not the least bit interested in dating. Like, I have a boyfriend, but you know what? If I didn't, I'd be fine. And, um, you know, if, if this, if it's like the right person and it were, you know, cause I, you know, I kind of have like my own life. Um, but I, you know, I mean, it's definitely, I mean, it's definitely changed. And one of the ways that it's really changed is that, and you know, this is heterosexual dating, like women don't, you don't need a guy to survive. And you know, women are much, have much more economic power and economic power gives you choices. And, and one of those choices is I don't have to choose from what's out there. Like, I don't have to choose like one of these guys. I mean, like, look, the reality is, I mean, you know, meeting the right partner that's only going to happen to a small percentage of people, probably. So it doesn't seem like that's the right kind of directive to give women, like, guide your life, you know, through this idea that you're going to meet the right guy to be with. Okay. You might meet the right guy for a while, but there's a very good chance that that guy's not going to, you know, it's not going to be the right guy forever. Um, and so it's really, you know, it's, it's really about how you've got to take care of yourself and structure your life, you know, not around God. Um, and you know, the other thing is, uh, you know, things like Tinder, I, I think one of the things that we don't consider enough as women is that tech is very male oriented. It's created by guys and it has a logic of, and <laughs> they're out, you know, those apps are meant to like empower women, men and disempower women. So that's, and to make money and get you to stay on it. Right. Um, you know, unfortunately women haven't been able to come up with an app that yeah, gives them the power. Still um, too smart for that kind of thing. Probably because no one can supply the quality kinds of guys that women say they're looking for and don't seem to be able to find. Right. right. Yeah. Tinder in its simplicity just screams creation by a man. <laughs> it's a card game. Playing <laughs> <Yeah>. cards. Jeez. <laughs> Last thing, I, we want to talk about your new book. So. 
you just came out co-authored being rules for being a girl. And I think this just screams to all women. And I loved, I've been doing a little bit of research on it and started reading it. And I want to ask you, what is one rule? What is one rule of all of them that we have as females that you would break, that you wish you could just shatter into a million pieces? Well, there are probably a lot of, <laughs> a lot of rules. Um, you know, I guess one of the rules is, you know, it's like, it's always being nice, you know, and, and that's something that I don't know if women still get that, but I really got that. I think a lot of women get that be nice mm-hmm. and, you know, be it's like the idea of, you know, the male somehow a position of authority or something like that. Um, and, you know, it's like you really, I mean, it's hard because everyone's telling you, be nice, don't talk too loud. And there, there are all these confusing messages. I mean, so many confusing messages to teenage girls. Mm-hmm. When you get older, you grow more into your own skin and who you are. So, uh, and you're just, you're stronger mentally and all that. So these things don't have the same effect, but, uh, you know, young women are, I mean, it's, it's a time that it's super, super judgy. Um, it's a time when you have to navigate a lot of different things. You know, people are hyper aware, they're super sensitive, um, and and there are all kinds of, you know, again, all those confusing messages that are in the book. You know, be nice, but don't be a doormat. Uh, be sexy, but don't be a slut. You know, be this, but don't be that. So it's really all about, like, it's a sort of, you know, indoctrination into being a woman, really. I love that. I, I and, and part of that is, I'm sorry, nope. you know, part of that is, you know, like when the, the teacher says, like, come upstairs, she thinks it's weird, but she goes upstairs, you know, and why wouldn't she? Right. I mean, you would, you would think it would be okay. (laughs) Right. Um, this, let me ask you a question here. You obviously have written tons of books. Is this the first book that you've co-written with someone? Had a co-writer? Uh, yes, I wrote it with Katie Kachugno. She's written tons of YA books and, and she's really a terrific writer and we have the same editor. Okay. So our editor put us together because I always was, you know, well, I would read a lot of, you know, books published by my editor and, um, and I just thought Katie was terrific. And she was like, you know, you two should do a book together. Katie also had a contract with her. Um, and so we did this, you know, there was a, uh, there's a lot of like, you know, back and forth and discussion and that sort of thing and outlines and you know in a sense it's a little bit more like working on a tv show where you know everything is in 
steps because you literally people need to be on the same page. You know, it's like you can't if I, you know, when I'm writing, I might go off on, you know, all kinds of tangents and down rabbit holes and that kind of stuff. And that's part of the fun of it. But you can't do that as when you're co-writing. Right. (laughs) Right. Blending two. I can't imagine blending two different style. Yeah. Voices, style of writing. It would be really interesting to see that process. So let's jump into listener questions because we did have some, some of our listeners gave us a few questions that we wanted to ask you. So we'll jump into those right now. So who do you relate to most out of Carrie, Miranda, Samantha, or Charlotte? Well, definitely Carrie because Carrie, you know, Carrie was my alter ego. Yeah. When I was writing the book, uh, the book actually, the column actually started first person. And then my parents were reading it, whatever. I was like, they're so conservative. So I said, I got to come up with another name. And I li- I was just sitting there. And then this name came to me, Carrie Bradshaw. That's it. Right anyway. Um, and, and. So when Sarah Jessica Parker was first playing the part, they dressed her the same way as I did. And she had like the same ring. If you look at those early episodes, like we had the same kind of watch. They literally dressed her the same. That's amazing. I love that. We were supposed to have the same hair color. And I mean, sometimes like, I kind of remember maybe it was like around the, maybe it was around 2000 or something like that. But, and I just saw a picture of me and Sarah Jessica Parker. And there was something, I felt like we really looked kind of alike. Yeah. She's got a much better figure than I do, but she's so sweet. I was like, oh, sweetie, you have such great figure. She's like, you've got the same thing here. I'm like, I don't. <laughs> I would love to see pictures of you when it first came out because she was such an icon and it's based on you. Like how freaking sweet is that? I would just love to see you in the nineties. That would have been so cool. So one of the questions we got is who would you root for or date in real life from the TV series, big or Aiden? Well, I did actually date Aiden. I mean, not really, but <laughs> so Aiden from the TV series, like the actor, yeah, yeah, John Corbett, yeah. yeah. What? Um, you know, we went out a couple times, went to dinner, um, and then he went back to LA and met Bo Derek, and then I read page six. Oh, he's dating Bo Derek. I was like, duh. You're like, okay, <laughs> like Bo Derek. I mean, she's a babe, but so are you. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, he was, he's super sweet. And then, but Chris knows, it's like, I know. He's so just nosy. <laughs> you know? I, I mean, he's probably more like his character on Law and Order, you know, than Mr. Big. Um, but I don't know. It's like he's, he's friends with my boyfriend. So I think, you know, still see him and yeah, yeah John Corbett is, he's, he's totally sweet. And, you know, Chris knows he's just nosy. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I would. I, I mean, I was always a Mr. Big girl. Listen, my mother was so Mr. Big. <laughs> she hated Aiden so much. And she would say, like, get rid of Aiden and bring back Big. Like, mom, it's not up to me. I love that. But yeah, she really, she really did not like Aiden. <laughs> you kind of answered this a little bit just a minute ago, but were you or are you into fashion as much as it was portrayed on the TV show as Carrie was into fashion? I, you know, I was. I was in a lot of ways. I, you know, I've always liked fashion ever since I was a kid. I mean, that's just the reality and and a friend of mine from when I was four said, oh, even when we were, you know, four and five, you still had the best shoes. So, you know, and my mother used to dress us up. I have two younger sisters uh, and I would read Vogue. And, you know, I've always really been into fashion and like an aesthetic kind of way. I mean, I feel like I can't afford fashion the way I'd like you know I mean if I could afford you know I mean I would be like so dressed at every second right. <laughs> um but I so yes and also I worked for Vogue and I would do I mean I did all kinds of stories for Anna Winter like I wore rubber dresses and I you know, and she would be like, go out and get Botox. Or no, did I get Botox? No, she got, I got, she'd be like, I don't get PMS. Right about it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and she once made me pose in a rubber dress with like Jamie King, who then was 16. <laughs> I was like, are you kidding? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> So anyway, and I, and you know, I wore lots of Dolce & Gabbana and Tom Ford and, and yes, I mean, I was, I, you know, I was definitely, I was into fashion and, but when they first started doing the show, I mean, that was like one of the tricky things because there was no fashion budget because it was at HBO. Mm -hmm. They're like fashion, like what the hell's that? And so Sarah Jessica Parker and Patricia Field had to go to flea markets. Wow. And they would get, and Patricia Field would, you know, rework them into. Yeah. Her, ma her magic. Yeah. That's a cool fact. Yeah. I love that. Wow. Well, Candace, we are so, we feel so honored that you came on this Girl Life podcast and hung out with us today. And we are just, we're going to make sure that all your information is on our website so our listeners can, again, find your latest book and all your other books. So thank you for coming on TGL. Thank you, guys. Have a good day. <laughs>